This is Classical Reboot, progressive talks on Western classical music. Hello and welcome to Classical Reboot. I'm Austin. And I'm Matt. And today we're joined by our good friend, colleague, composer, Dorian Cunningham. Dorian, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm out here in sunny San Francisco, California, (laughs) uh, just living it up. Yeah. Yeah, I can't say the same for me or Matt here in Chicago, but you know, (laughs) have you heard of the colossal shitload of snow that we've been getting this year? I've uh, I've heard quite a bit about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, after living through a certain amount of that, it's very nice to be back here and just be hearing from my Chicago friends about what it's like over there. And I can be, you know, very <laughs> I love it. like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, sounds really rough. Right. It's uh, I'm a big uh, fan of snow, though. So no, yeah, it's, nice. like, it's really nice. Yeah. I feel that, like, especially being from Minnesota, um, and we really run our stereotypes. But it's it, it is really nice. But I will say, snow in a city sucks because there's just it's nowhere a totally to, different thing. There's just yeah. nowhere yeah. to put it. Like parking just gets all fucked up. Like it's just there's nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's a pain. I don't have ass. a car, so I'm like, well, yeah, right. I like to just look at the cars on the street that are legit covered in snow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like truly. under snow, like you can't, you can see an antenna. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm the like, yeah, of, that looks like it sucks. The amount of like Honda Fits and Priuses in my neighborhood right now that are just and like you know it makes sense to have a car like that in a city because you're just zipping around and you know well all that stuff but like yeah in the snow what do you you, you either you have to shovel it out like real good. Or you just kind of wait it out. <laughs> also, I didn't see anything about like a snow emergency, like get your car off the street, which like as someone from St. Paul is like a real legitimate thing that the city's like, we're going to plow and like we're giving you fair notice. And if you don't right. move your car, like you're screwed. But it looks like in Chicago, they're like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. can deal with it. Yeah, well, I mean, much. it's Lightfoot. So what do you what do you got? <laughs> yeah absolutely so we brought dorian on yeah we brought dorian onto the show today um to talk a little bit more about um composing vocal music because it's something that i personally do not um i don't do as much and i also don't claim to be the best at it and so dorian has this wonderful opera that he wrote in 2018 19 uh 2018 yeah Excellent. So why don't you, I don't know, why, why, do you want to talk about your experience of writing vocal music maybe? Because I know you have quite a bit actually in your um, repertoire portfolio. So what, what got you into writing more vocally inclined music? Yeah, uh, so vocal music was really my entrance into music in general. Uh, I, from a very young age, was in a choir, the San Francisco Boys Choir. There you go. Uh, was literally like the first musical activity I ever had. I did that for uh, eight years or something. Sure. Uh, so that's really like the bedrock of my musical experience uh, as a whole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So coming into composing, it always just felt right that I would write for voice. It was just what I knew the best. Uh, when I hear music in my head, it's generally vocal music. Um, sure. And there are a couple different aspects about it that I really like. It's a just the social aspect of it. Like I, I enjoy writing for singers. Uh, mm-hmm. And I find that when you're writing for specific people and for specific voices, there's something really enjoyable about that getting to know their range really well and sure sure uh ready for a, that it's, it is a very like personal instrument um yeah like we've talked a little bit on here before it's hard to like remove the individual from um the playing where i think with like an instrument you know you you can try and like sound like you know another individuals or get the same tone as an individual but like the voice is obviously your voice. And so you're yeah. going to, you can only do so much to try and match someone out. You can, you know, you can focus on blend and things like that, but yeah. it, re- it really comes down to the individual, which is a very, like very interesting, unique characteristic of the voice. Yeah. And I think going along with that, something that has always perplexed me and really 
just amazed me about the voice is that we can't know our own voice, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. we just don't know how we sound. And I, I think that is kind of unique that it's for singers, it's just always a mystery that sure. kind of everyone else knows the answer to. And right. you as the individual, <laughs> it's just like, you'll never really know. You can't be a yeah. true objective observer. Yeah. And the other, the other hard part is also like just the mechanics. Like you, yeah. oh yeah, like it's all inside, like the, the flip side of like, you never know how you sound really. And then you're the only one who really knows how you're making that sound. Yeah. <laughs> and mm -hmm. no one else yeah. knows, well, including it, your teachers. Your, your it's also an instrument that's always changing. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like, imagine Constant. like walking up to your cello every time you're going to practice it and you're like, oh, it's a little longer today. Or, oh, that's actually kind of what I'm yeah. dealing with right now because of the crazy weather. <laughs> oh, actually, <yeah. laughs> my, my string height is going all over the place. Right, right. But well, like, not that, that's not near as dramatic as what happens yeah. to a voice. Right, to right. To be clear. Yeah, it's, it's crazy that that you know people are able to to deal with that i guess i mean it's just the nature of the beast so yeah, yeah. but you have um i mean uh, along with this chamber opera but i mean how many art songs do you have in your um portfolio okay. um i have uh, that's a tough question i have a couple of cycles a couple of standalone songs okay yeah uh yeah, I, I maybe would can say, ballpark. Yeah, yeah, maybe fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's that's quite a few. 15, I mean, yeah. how long have you been composing? I've been composing for uh, six years, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, um, yeah, that's a good amount of that's a good output. I, would say. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's clear that like you have an inclination towards um, vocal vocal music which is you know that's that's great so we obviously brought yeah. you on i mean we always i always talk about how we'll, we'll bring up vocal music and i'd be like this is how i this is what i know about it this is what i've studied about <laughs> it but my actual experience writing it is not as much as it is instrumental music so sure yeah and i i have very little experience with with vocal music so i <laughs> i'm i'm not one to talk about it too much like i sang in church choir for you know, years, but then I stopped. <laughs> so. <laughs> so a really, um, an inherent thing with using text and that that's maybe a little bit of a loaded thing, but typically when a composer uses text, they're conveying a story of some capacity, you know, it, it has a dramatic element to it. What, what do you, you know, what are pros and cons of that? And like, you can also disagree with what I just said too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think story is a very specific term. And I think that uh, there are some times where for myself, I'm not trying to convey a story. I'm trying to convey just a single image, mm -hmm. you know, one kind of like a tableau. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, the distinction between the two is not huge. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, working with text is a, a big part of the reason why I, write so much for voice because i just love working with text so much yeah. uh who's your who's one of your favorite or who are some of your favorite poets or people who write texts or oh is there anyone that you're into right now sources uh, <laughs> yeah poetry wise like right now i'm really into john ashbury okay uh i'm reading this book of his called flow chart that's just this long sprawling poem that goes kind of from concrete to abstract and back and it's like sometimes you think there's sort of a story going on but you don't really know and yeah. most of the time you're just floating in this really beautiful sea of words uh yeah, yeah. i in terms of texts for uh for songs i think my favorite experience that i've had was with my most recent song cycle that i wrote uh yeah called upon the tree okay uh, i found this vast trove of uh diaries online <laughs> yeah of, of people in the uh like mostly english and irish people in like the late 1800s okay. uh just writing about their lives uh, mm. most of it is totally autobiographical mm. uh and speaking very plainly about it and uh you know, uh, being totally 
emotionally clear, you know, like this is what happened and this is how I felt about it. And telling these just like heart wrenching or really yeah. uplifting or whatever stories. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, I really fell, I fall in love with texts like that easily where I feel like this is someone just telling me their experience straight up and I can understand it. I can really connect with it. Yeah. Uh, that was something that amazed me about those texts. It's like, they're so old, you know, they're sure. over a hundred years old. Yeah. Uh, but every single one of those stories felt so real. It's like, Oh, I know exactly what this is about. I, I can totally relate to it. So it's something like that. Are you, are you, are you thinking more like in the story vein? Or are you kind of thinking more in the tableau kind of um, idea that you were talking about earlier? Uh, those are pretty much all stories. Yeah. Uh, the, it was really tough choosing the text for that song cycle sure. uh, because this, the uh, online trove that I found is so large and there were so many different things that I really wanted to use. And mm-hmm. I ended up mm-hmm. using all really narrative pieces. Uh, sure. And I do think some of them go kind of in between where there is kind of a narrative, but the dramatic high point of that narrative is a tableau. You know, sure. it's really one image that's important and everything else is kind of leading up to it or uh, creating the background for it somehow. Yeah, I think that, I mean, modern art song is really pushing the the boundaries of like it just being like subjective, you know, music with a text or 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 maybe not subject objective music with text um, versus an actual staged piece of dramatic music. And I'm seeing a lot of art songs that are um, kind of pushing those boundaries. I don't know if you remember. um, I can't remember her name, but she did the Vinterisa thing with um, that one composer that came to see CPA. I'm really nailing the names here. But (laughs) that incredible recall there, Austin. No, but they they did. um, It was this wonderful mezzo, and she did Vinterisa actually in the original key, just like obviously not in the same range, but... Um, and then, um, there were electronic music components to it and they also mm-hmm. had like some visuals going on. And to me, that's, I mean, things like that and that nature, it's like, yes, you have this art song. In fact, you have this very old, no, not very old. You have this older late romantic art song. That's pretty well known within the community. Yeah. And now you're, and now you're tr- starting to implement dramatic elements to it and that um i mean talk about one that that's pretty easy to do because it's i mean it's it's a journey of a piece you know with with all the movements in it you know you really get the picture of what this guy's going through and things like that um but uh, such as with a lot of schubert schubert schumann which one did that one can't remember uh always mix it up hurt Right. I, 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 I was right. leaning I so. towards Schubert. I think that's right. I think that's right. Let's just say that's correct. Yeah, um, that's that's right. Do you guys mind if I say can... Schumann really quick and then if I was wrong, you can go back and kind of oh, yeah, we yeah, can. Yeah. edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll make we'll make you look right. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. We're the um, ones who will look wrong, don't worry. Atlas Arts Media is a Chicago-based production company that focuses on video and audio for live acoustic music. If you are a Chicago-based musician that needs live recordings of works or songs, Atlas Arts Media can provide you a professional-level product at an affordable rate for you to truly showcase your talent. Let Atlas Arts elevate your artistry today by contacting them via email at atlasarts.media at gmail.com and find more details at atlasarts.media. You can also follow them on Instagram and Facebook for more examples of their work. Cheers. Fun fact of unsolicited advice. If you have a student email and it's still valid, you can still use it to get student discounts. So get those discounts, kids. And stay in school, I guess. I guess, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) To an extent. School... This counts. I mean, it's yeah. a it's a balancing act. Yeah. <laughs> Thousands of dollars, some discounts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, uh, so we're back with Dorian and 
Yeah, let's let's. So many questions about your opera, actually. Because can I can I ask a little bit of a question though? Yeah, let's let's have you kick it off. Um, So we were talking about text, and we're talking about text and art song. But then, how how does that shift when you start looking at opera? Because you're talking about the tableau story thing, and I feel like in opera there's a shift there because it's typically usually more of a story, and definitely in what you we're going for in this opera is telling a story, but how does that yeah. choosing the text, setting the text change it? Yeah. Uh, so with opera, it, it kind of immediately blows up everything that you're doing already because there's this whole other dimension added, mm-hmm. which is the, just the movement and the physical presence of all those people on stage who need to be doing something. Yeah. Uh, and so it changes your considerations for uh, how someone can sing, you know, like y- you are just thinking about what someone is going to be doing physically in the scene. And you're thinking, oh, OK, so it makes sense for them to sing like this or, you know, how they don't want to be like running and singing really quietly, you know, because it's mm. just not going to come through. And it's like yeah. if they're moving like that then they can't do that kind of singing there's a lot of like practical issues that you might not think (laughs) of as a composer yeah absolutely uh and that being said uh this is kind of going back to something i was going to say earlier about just writing with text in general is that you really have the opportunity to make the sum of the parts greater wait the whole great wait wait a minute can you guys help me out with this? The, the whole, whole greater than greater the than sum the of sum. the parts? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Yep. You can make the whole... So the the movements of the people on stage and the text and the music can all work together mm-hmm. and really uh, strengthen each other and make everything more powerful. Right. They can also detract from each other. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you can end up in a situation where uh, you accidentally put too much into one element. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, something else that may be really important just doesn't come through because it's covered up by this really intense action that have you eye-catching. ever intentionally done something in uh, maybe this might be getting into do too much detail, but I could see where like that could be a very like intentional thing to do where it's like you want, you know, too much stuff going on. Or I wonder if that I wonder if it could go both ways, basically, is kind of my. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, maybe it, it, maybe not because like you said if it's just detracting from it then like you're just detracting from it you're not really like intentionally detracting from i don't know it's kind of a yeah. weird question <laughs> it it's it is tough i i think um <laughs> the only time that i've tried to like manipulate the audience's attention and steer them away from something that was actually really important uh was doing uh, my brass quintet in G, the oh, yeah. performance <laughs> art piece that uh, you participated in. Uh, where I loved, I loved walking into that. Like I, I came from backstage <laughs> and I came into the hall, and you were like yeah. midway through starting that. <laughs> I was like, what yeah. the hell is going on? <laughs> you and everyone else, I think, me and it, yep. it was great. Um, yeah, you should describe it a bit more for the people so they understand sure what it is so i so for all four years in the composition department uh every recital there are a couple of people from the department who are chosen to be the stagehands essentially and move things around in between songs uh and every year at some point there'd be some catastrophic stage failure. Well, let's be uh, honest, it was every recital. <laughs> okay. I was, I was trying to be generous. But, but stage. We can, we can be totally honest. It's uh, such an overlooked thing. Yeah, totally. And, and I'm not trying to... Being a good stagehand on is anyone. a skill. There's like a whole union for it. You yeah. know, it's like, it's a very specific thing. It's and like we being all, a good page turner. Like yeah, yeah. The, like yeah. good page turners and good stagehands are the backbone of our economy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, talk about something personal in performance. To have a state oh, yeah. a, a page turner that really knows you and knows when you want that it's page true. turned is yep. like that's trust. Incredible. Yeah. Yep. Uh, 
And I, just to be clear, I'm saying myself included, I totally messed up some things oh, as a yeah. stagehand there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so my senior year, I wanted to write a piece that would make fun of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I scripted out this kind of short one-act play, I guess, where I came on as the composer and started describing that pe- this piece that the audience was about to hear. And behind me, the stagehands came on and set up the stage, then left and the performers came on. And then the stagehands came back on and started moving things around again <laughs> and pushing the performers away. And more and more people would start coming on stage and things would get more frantic and there are chairs going everywhere. There are stands on the ground, you know. Classic. Uh, and eventually someone in the audience stands up and shouts at me to shut up because I've just been <laughs> rambling on and on for so long. Uh, it, it was a really fun piece, but uh, that, I believe, was the only time where I was intentionally trying to subvert uh, the attention of the audience. Because and maybe I, that's the, and that's kind of what I was, the, the word I was looking for is like subverting expectation of you know yeah. you know and w- would that be a way to do that and Certainly. maybe yeah i mean it could be um I but think it, i yeah i i think it can be but also i mean i like when you talk about like so much going on that right you know like when, when you talk about that my mind immediately goes to like late strauss Mm. Um, because like there's so much going on in those tone poems mm-hmm. yeah. that mm-hmm. like sometimes you're just like I did not realize that there was a whole melody happening in the lower strings. <laughs> yeah, like oh, that, for like oh, that melody, three listens not... of this piece. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you know you just don't hear it. Um, and yeah. I think like Strauss is intentionally like subverting that in there, but also like. The audience doesn't notice. I mean, late romantic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. late romantic composers were just kind of going wild with orchestration anyways, <laughs> in general. Yeah, so. but and like, I mean, yeah, I think there's there's something to be said for intentionally doing it, but there is also something to be said for the audience's ability to actually perceive it. Right. Yeah. Which is not something you can count on. Yeah. Which isn't like a bad thing or like a thing against the audience. It's just like. You're just you can't too notice much of everything. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. it's such a time commitment to be like, you actually can't listen to this piece just once. You have right. to come back and come back mm-hmm. again. And yeah. Um, so before we go into more uh, details about your opera, because I do want to, I want to talk about specifics with that. I just uh, working with text um, again is just something I don't do. What do you find to be limiting? What do you find to be liberating? Like what? what what elements of it do you find um, like contribute to either of those or like, do you find it constricting sometimes or do you find it like more freeing? Uh, I, I would say both. And this, this is good. Cause this gets kind of to my core composition ideology. Sure. Uh, yeah. Is that I actually find freedom in constrictions. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's not an original idea at all. But I, I think it might have been Stravinsky that kind of. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he's not the first one, but he's like he's those, like he's, the guy that everyone thinks of. Who right? It's like about the, this is quote where he's like, "There's nothing more intimidating than like a blank piece of sheet music or something like exactly. that." Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I wrong. think it's so true. Yeah. And working with text, you don't have to worry about that because you have so much covered already. Yeah. Uh, and when I'm working with text, I try to write to the text as much as I can. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I really try not to just slot the text into music and try and make it work like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in that way, when I'm starting out with the text, I have like elements of the rhythm already figured out. I have some timbre things already figured out. Mm. Uh, and in a way, that's kind of a constraint because there are some things that you just can't do because it will mess with the text too much or it'll make it unclear or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I see it more as kind of just ignition, <laughs> you yeah. know, that uh, you have this inspiration already and you're just working on top of that and it, it's pushing you. It's pushing you somewhere. Totally. Um, it's a great, it can be a great impetus for musical ideas. Um, 
Yeah. Which is, which is something, like I said, like I, <laughs> I need more experience in because I, whenever I'm prompted with writing a vocal piece, I think I just spend the first, um, however long, like outlining it or whatever. I spend so much time struggling with the text because I, yeah. I just don't have as much experience with it. And I think taking that view of like really just taking the text for what it is and also like what, what it's conveying, like can really enable you to, you know, elevate it because that's is ultimately what you're trying to do with it unless again you're trying to subvert what the text is but even then you're consciously making that choice so yeah and it it is interesting the different process with text when it comes to outlining beforehand uh Mm. because there's only so much that you can plan and again when you're working with text there already is a structure there and you have to decide if you're going to work with that structure or against it uh so yeah so let's get into the libretto maybe of your um opera because i think that when you're setting text for art songs it's often poetry you mm -hmm. talked about doing narratives earlier so there might not have been as much like meter to those but um i mean first of all what was it like working with a librettist um second of all um, if you want to talk about like what the libretto is about and then third of all, what was their meter in the, the, the libretto and um, how did you work with the text? So, yeah. Uh, so for this project, I worked with Deborah Mitchell, a fantastic writer who's based in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I'll just say what the opera is about really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll talk about the process uh, it, it's based on the story of St. Friedswide of Oxford. Oxford. Um, Deborah had spent some time working in Oxford and living there. Uh, and I guess she had always heard the story of the patron saint of Oxford, St. Friedswide, mm-hmm. uh, and had always wanted to turn that into a story somehow. Uh, and it was just perfect for what we were yeah. trying to do. Uh, so we went with it. The story is essentially that there's this uh, young kind of wealthy girl, Friedswide, uh, who was not interested in her sort of bourgeoisie upbringing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and not interested in being a society person at all uh, and left her family to go live as a nun mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in the countryside. And uh, when she did this, the devil himself was particularly enraged Mm. uh, that she would choose this humble kind of religious life. Uh, So he sent, he sends this prince after her, Prince Algar, uh, who essentially tries to abduct her and force her to marry him. And through the power of God, (laughs) she, (laughs) she blinds him. Right. Uh, and he, you know, runs away and he sends an army to her uh, nunnery, I guess. Convent. Uh, convent. Thank you. Nah, here you go. <laughs> uh, he, he sends an army to burn down her convent uh, and he sends his right hand man to go and abduct her again. And she blinds that dude, too. <laughs> Uh, God, bam, 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 bam. Uh, and the, I'm, I'm leaving out some details, but yeah, the, uh, synopsis, synopsis, the, the kind of apex moment of the piece is when they all, uh, meet each other in the woods. Um, Mm -hmm. and these two dudes are blinded and, uh, fried swide ends up uh returning their sight to them uh in exchange for them promising to leave and mm-hmm. never mess with her ever again yeah uh and they accept that um yeah i uh, uh, so yeah so the um the text was based on this story how was it all originally written then yeah like uh, it was all, rewritten it was rewritten, and yeah. we did actually change some key details from the original story. Okay, uh, that would not have worked well. <laughs> okay, on stage, uh, so it was adapted for sure. And okay, yeah, pretty much all Deborah. 
we worked very closely uh, mm-hmm. throughout that process. Uh, we would just meet up and she would show me a draft and we would talk about it and cool. talk about uh, things that were working well and things that we wanted to change. Sure, sure. Uh, I really enjoyed that process. Um, yeah, that sounds like a great collaboration. Um, yeah. Between, I don't know, yeah, you... You, you hear horror stories of composers and librettists really going at it with each other, but it sounds like you guys had yeah. a great relationship. Yeah, I think we both just went into it with open minds mm-hmm. uh, and were very happy to just collaborate and hear other ideas and, uh, yeah, really talk about pros and cons of different things. Uh, yeah. And it, it was really difficult with this text because... Uh, a lot of it is very serious. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, there, are, there are a couple of moments throughout where there are kind of comedic seconds, I guess. Right, right. Uh, and balancing those two was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Finding the right language for this particularly old story, you know, this is like a 15th century saint. Uh, yeah. And so figuring out how to deal with that language wise, uh, all these things were negotiations, you know, and it Mm. took us talking through it and trying one thing and okay, well, that's a little bit too much, you know, that this is too kind of modern day Mm. uh, language wise, we got to tone it back and something else and oh, this, the comedy here is kind of detracting from the seriousness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. An issue. Uh, yeah, so a lot of just back and forth. Yeah, the we yeah, got Matt. Oh no, I, I um, so you know, you brought up something that I think is really interesting, in in particular about what what you and Deborah managed to do is that balance between comedy and drama, um, especially because there is not too far in. I mean, there's that uh, beer aria mm-hmm. that is like just like two minutes of like just comedy. Like yeah. it's it's a highly comedic aria, and it's kind of surrounded by very dramatic elements. And the, I was, the, the the context of it makes it very yeah. different <laughs> than yeah. like if you were just to have that as a standalone aria versus yeah. like where it yeah. exists and why it exists within the the opera. Yeah, and so I guess just to give some context for listeners about that, yeah, uh, the. Prince dude, Prince Algar, who is sent after Fried Swide, uh, he has this aria where he's singing about just how much he loves beer and drinking in general and partying and being a fun guy. Uh, and we're <laughs> writing this around the time of the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the mm-hmm. Supreme Court. Uh, and that was a pretty direct reference. Yep. Uh, and uh, I think that was a big part of the inspiration for the whole piece was just thinking about women's agency and the right to choose and, uh, you know, confronting these horrible men uh, who are attacking women and trying to take away their agency. Um, How did you, so yeah, let's get more into that. How did you approach that compositionally? Um, uh, how did you want to convey that on stage? How did you want to convey that musically? And then how do you think it um, was conveyed on stage? Or uh, what was your process for that? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of things to consider yeah. musically. Yeah, I it's, think, it's a very, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a large question. It's a, it's a tough question. And I, you know, there are times where I even wondered if I, was the right person to write sure. this opera, you yeah. know, uh, which is a tough question again. But uh, really, it was just working closely with Deborah and hearing her thoughts about it mm-hmm. and kind of having her explain to me her vision of how this story was a direct allegory about yeah. these issues and yeah. really trying to say something uh making a strong statement from both of us about sure. uh, how we feel about you know how much agency <laughs> women yeah. should have you know? right and i mean it's it's a beautiful work dorian it, it really is your your harmonic language and the melodies and everything and it's just it's it's 
a class act. Um, Thank you. And I found, yeah, just the 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 harmonic development throughout it really reflects that idea of um, you have these really tender moments with the the sisters at the convent, um, really caring for each other and speaking, and then you have these really visceral, intense moments where um, Fried Swide is standing up for herself and saying, no, I don't want to do this. And it, the, the music really reflects this, um, the drama and the, the seriousness of this, um, of these issues. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And um, going off of that, um, how, how did you plan out that harmonic idea? Cause I mean, I, you know, it's, yeah. How did that, how did that come about in like weaving those elements together? Yeah, uh, so my harmonic kind of planning for this piece was uh, very leitmotif based. You know, I, I gave mm. each character a short, a four note motive, mm. uh, a four tone motive, and I figured out even before I started writing the actual music, like ways to work those motives together mm-hmm. and different ways that those motives could be presented. Uh, so having the same motive be used in a really tender moment uh, versus a very uh, angry moment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even before we had the actual libretto finished, just thinking through those motives and uh, trying to come up with a plan of how I would use them at different points in the narrative sure. uh, was a big part of the process. Do you find um, that a lot of your writing, you tend to think in terms of motives and motive um, development? Yeah, uh, pretty much all of my writing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I think for whatever reason, the way that my musical mind works is that I get really hyper focused on one small idea yeah and i just want that over and over and over again (laughs) in you know different ways yeah uh and i think that comes through in my writing where oftentimes what i want to write is taking one tiny little idea and trying to string it out yeah as much as i can and uh do everything that i can with it everything Mm -hmm. that's interesting and beautiful (laughs) yeah it's funny um Dory and I both had the same composition teacher when he was finishing up his undergrad and I was in grad school and I, I totally see, I, cause I feel the same way with that. And I feel like I got that from our, from our instructor. <laughs> yeah. She, she was all about, um, that idea of taking just a small morsel and really seeing how much you can expand upon it and, um, you know, milk it for all it's got. Yeah, Matt. I, I didn't have anything. Oh, I was sorry. just trying to stretch. Oh, I'm just, just out here trying to oh, keep yeah. my keep my forearms and my wrists loose. <laughs> That's um, important. I have a lot of yeah problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I think our teacher Kangmi Choi. I, I the way that she's explained it to me is that she came to music through organ playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and specifically through playing Bach. And that's all that Bach is about, right? Is yep. <laughs> taking these small ideas and just straying them out. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think she had a big influence on me uh, in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine, I don't know, it just lends itself really well to vocal writing, especially in an opera. I mean, we've, on this podcast, we've mentioned Wagner and Strauss and a bunch of other people who use motives and um, are um, not that um, we like bringing up Wagner, but <laughs> but it's I, actually we seem to like bringing up Wagner because we, we usually bring him up all the time. We bring it we to tend, shit on him. Yes, mostly that. <laughs> it, yeah, but you know the late it's it's very much still stemmed in that late romantic idea of um, light motif and how yeah. that you know moves the story along and. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's less, um, apparent throughout your opera, but you, I, I think the listeners are realizing it without realizing it. And you did a great job of masking a lot of these motives and moods and all these things. And they're not really like 
oh, there's that motive. You're you're more involved with the mood of the scene than you yeah. are, and and you're just you're you did a great job of like everything, the music, the text, the the staging, all of that stuff. Um, maybe we can talk about the staging process too a little bit. Yeah. But, well, uh, this actually yeah. this links back to uh, kind of similar to my idea about writing with texts. I think when you're writing with motives, uh, it, 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 you're not starting from a blank page, you know? And so I was going into scenes thinking, okay, I have this character doing this and this character doing this. So I've got these two motives Mm -hmm. and I'm going to work them into the accompaniment like this, you know? Uh, So in a way it's almost just a device to get past the initial creativity problem <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just be like, mm-hmm. you know, I have these materials. How do mm-hmm. I use them? I think that's so important in the, the creating pro- creative process and writing music is just getting past that first initial, like what notes or what sound do I want kind of deal and not, yeah. I mean, not overthinking it is one thing, but also like you said, placing parameters on your, creative process is huge you you're you yeah you just put yourself in a box and it's and it's not to say that you can't draw outside of the line sometimes but you or your box can't get bigger but you need to start somewhere and the, it, gives I mean, you, yeah. it gives you a bit of a roadmap to work with right from, i mean same what thing i like, understand like for well, me like with practicing it's like exactly i have a very like like there is a way that i start pieces because it works for me and it's like just like a roadmap of like, okay, I have to go through the piece like this to begin learning it, to even begin like comprehending yeah. what I can do musically and expressively with it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, like since I play other people's works, it's a lot easier for me to start <laughs> doing something. I think than like you guys are composers, you have to actually create something for me. I'm just like, I'll learn the notes and then we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a similar process though. Cause you can't yeah. just, I mean, you're, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, specifically with like, my experience also like learning string instruments um, and this kind of blew my mind was my instructor one time. He's like, why don't you figure out all the phrasing and the bowing or figure out all the phrasing first. And then that will inform like what bowings you want to use. And I'm like, yeah, like that, like that was (laughs) like, that was such an aha moment for me. So like, it's not that I just think performers have a a, a different beast to tackle than, you know, composers. One other thing is like trying to be unique with the same notes Right. Like that's that's our beast to tackle is like how right. do I make yeah. this Brahms sonata sound like me mm-hmm. rather than like, you know, <laughs> Yo Yo Ma, which I'm not gonna sound like Yo Yo Ma ever. <laughs> Never gonna be how this works. But just as an example, like it has to sound different because I can't but just mimic. It does And it that's does. that's for composers too. You can't just right. mimic what somebody right. else does. Um, it, it does kind of go back to the original thing I was saying about the the voice being such a personal instrument too. Um, did you know um, who you're going to be writing for, Dorian? Or yes, uh, and did and did uh, that inform how you wrote the parts? Hugely. Um, yeah. 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 I I spent a while just sitting in on each of the performers' voice lessons. Oh wow! Uh, and yeah, just great. getting to know their range really well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this this is the first time that I did that specifically because I didn't know most of them already and I hadn't heard a lot of their voices sure. all that much. Sure. Uh, and it's something that I would do differently if I were to go back now because I, okay. thinking back, the pressure that I probably put on those poor singers by like. <laughs> <laughs> sitting in on their lessons and taking notes, you know, and like, yeah, oh, yeah. like, oh, they just flipped up into that range. Let me write that down. <laughs> it is a little uh, nerve wracking. I would imagine having yeah. people sit in on your lessons is like one of the weirdest feelings. <laughs> yeah. Like it's yeah. cause like it's, it's not a master class. <laughs> so you're not like in that mindset. And then like someone's just sitting there like, Oh, you're doing this. Let me <laughs> like, I've had like personally, I've been the person being observed. I'm like, this is, you get yeah. over it, but it's like it's a weird. It's not. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see where they might have felt a little under pressure. Yeah, and I was taking like copious notes. I yeah. wanted every bit of information that I wanted. And I think I could tell after a while that 
they're like, what? What is he writing? You know, right, right, right. <laughs> but like, I, I bet they were kind of thankful for that in the long run because I bet you were able to write very personal parts for each individual performer, and hopefully, yeah. I mean, you were able to write for their voice and their, which made it easier for them to perform. Hopefully, you know. I hope so. Yeah, and, yeah. and ultimately, I mean, the awkwardness of that process is what I regret. But the yeah, the product of having all that information about their voices and how they worked mm-hmm. was so beneficial in yeah. the writing process uh, yeah. to know like, oh, this singer has a really beautiful mid-high range that will work great for this part in the story. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just mm-hmm. going to write up there and it's going to it's gonna yeah. sit in that range. And yeah. So you had the uh, pleasure or obstacle however you want to pr- <laughs> however you want to look at it but you you were you got to write for a countertenor which isn't very common yes. um and the countertenor plays the devil which i think is a great um <laughs> i love that i, I think I'm, it's awesome yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it's a real life allegory <laughs> and it's not I'm um i actually have a couple questions just what was i mean just first of all what was your experience writing for a voice type that's not super common and then b would you consider having that played by a um another high voice like sung by a female or you know um we talked about in another um episode about just like um non-binary people singing and like you know their voice range doesn't necessarily always match like their gender or how they how they identify themselves so um how like i that's what came to mind when i was like hearing that role yeah um i i am totally open to having it sung by different voice types i i think in general I'm not uh, very tied to who is singing a yeah. song or a piece that I've written. Yeah. Uh, that being said, th- <laughs> this specific story is so about gender. Yeah. Uh, that there are definitely certain roles that I I would have questions about. Oh yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I loved writing for countertenor. I mm. had never done it before. Um, and so it was definitely a learning experience for me, for sure. uh, but a very good learning experience, I would say, yeah. uh, yeah, that they're, uh, you know, they have such a huge range, yeah. uh, and I think that goes for like their physical, like how many notes can they hit, uh, as well as expressive. Mm. Uh, I've found that some countertenors have really incredible expressive potential. Uh, mm-hmm. and Nicholas in particular was like that. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just a lot of fun working with him and finding out just stuff about the countertenor voice that I didn't know, like yeah, uh, yeah. how the different parts of the range. It, it is. I mean, just knowing some of the vocalists and seeing the, I mean, it's a lot, you got a lot of big voices on that. Yeah. Cat. Like, like three, like the, the baritone Austin, yeah. Austin Tanya, the mezzo, and then Sierra, like those three. Yeah. Um, just huge, huge. They, I mean, they could sing over a Wagnerian orchestra, you know, <laughs> yeah. and like, and yeah. have no problem with it. It's, and you balance them so wonderfully, actually. Um, Thank did you. you. And I mean, obviously, you you got to know their voices intimately. So I would imagine that was part of the process of when you were kind of staging or when people will be singing together, like blend and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that that was a challenge with this piece because, mm-hmm. you know, it was a chamber opera mm-hmm. and it was... Uh, I don't want to say limited to, but it was um, specifically written for piano. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had to kind of consider those things just in terms of volume <laughs> by yeah. itself, you know? Yeah. Because uh, there's not a full chorus behind right. when the, in the ensemble moments, and there isn't a full orchestra uh, right. playing beneath these singers. Right. That being said, uh, sorry, were you going to say something? Well, I, I did. Would you like to orchestrate it, or did you ever? Would you ever have plans to orchestrate it? Yeah, I would consider it for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I have trouble sometimes going back to old pieces. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel uh, <laughs> just time wise, it's like I I want to be doing something new. I want to sure. I want to be sure. going on to the next thing. Uh, yeah. But I think that this piece in particular, uh, you know, I, I tried to write it as 
piano yeah. specific as I could. You, yeah, yeah. But there were still moments where I felt like, oh, I could really use like some low brass here. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I mean, knowing the piece, I mean, the, this will become a staple in your portfolio. I'll tell you that. So I think it's definitely something that, <laughs> um, I yeah. I, I would I would love to hear this orchestrated. I'd love to hear this with a full, you know, even a chamber orchestra and a, yeah. you know, and a group. I think it I think it has so much potential in it. I have kind of a question about the orchestration. I think. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, generally, like you've you've written a lot of art songs, and you're you're clearly very familiar with the piano and how it sounds and how it interacts with the voice. Uh, have you written? Because I don't, I don't know your pro- portfolio that well. Uh, have you written much for other instruments or for you know for strings for winds and how comfortable would you feel using those? Yeah, I've written a bit. Uh, I especially when I was in undergrad, I tried to branch out and uh, yeah. write for other instruments that I wasn't as comfortable with. Uh, Funnily enough, I was roommates for all four years with a tuba major. Uh, and so I ended up writing a bunch of solo tuba works. We should get Bradley on. We should get you and Bradley on this pod. That'd be absolutely. hilarious. That'd be so funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, and he actually commissioned me recently to write a piece for him. What? Uh, nice. Metamorphosis oh, of genes. There you go. <laughs> Congrats. money I'm going to yeah, commission we you. Would <laughs> love to talk about that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But uh yeah, I, and in terms of like orchestrating under voice, uh thinking about it, I I'm pretty sure that there is only one song of mine that I've written that uh is not just piano and voice. Uh it gets really crazy with the orchestration because it's piano clarinet and voice mm, so there's mm. really a lot going on there <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um there's actually didn't one of the the, Sh- the schubert or the schumann like didn't one of them write a piece with that kind of oh i, I feel like that there's, um, there's a relatively famous art song out there that it uses the um, instrumentation it's it's neither here possibly nor there, so but yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> i don't know, I don't know art songs I, that well so <laughs> sure <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the process is a little bit different. Uh, yeah. Writing for, of course. Uh, yeah, instrumental versus vocal music, and I really like them both for different reasons. Well, uh, they just—I the, mean—they're they're just very different. Um, and I think that if you're someone who writes um, primarily instrumental music, going into <laughs> there's so many examples of people who write like. You take Beethoven's, what what was this one mm-hmm. opera he Fidelio. wrote? Fidelio. Fidelio. Mm-hmm. It's not great vocal writing. Like well, it's, well, I mean, even his Ninth Symphony, like that fourth right. movement yeah. is horrible vocal writing. Right, exactly. It's, it's yes. physically painful to say. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, like it's, it's yeah. not, you, there, are these, there are people who write primarily instrumental music and then there's people who write primarily vocal music. And then you get people who are just good at both. And I mean, I think you're actually one oh, of those Verdi. individuals, Dorian. But um, <laughs> it's it's I think it's just important to keep in mind, like we we call this the the, the end of this podcast, the unsolicited advice segment um, <laughs> where we <laughs> for those like we'll just say for those who are listening. Um, no, but like if you're if you primarily write one or the other, it's it's you can't treat it like that when you're going into writing the other, if that makes sense. And, yeah. and I, I think that's very, A, something you do very well, Dorian. It's, it's very clear that you have a good grasp on both. But also, um, it's just an, you, you see it all over the place. People who primarily write instrumental music who then write vocal music. And you're like, yeah, this is clearly not what you usually do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing for me uh, that I had to learn going through undergrad was not writing for something with a different instrument you know Mm, mm -hmm. uh it because when i came in my process was very piano Mm -hmm. based Mm -hmm. so i would figure out something that i could play on the piano and be like (laughs) all right this is how all right violin go for it (laughs) you know ah the chopin approach i see yeah 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 (laughs) exactly play those tense here can you play this (laughs) you play this quadruple stop 
Uh, yeah. Gotta, I, gotta, we I call those chords. Yeah. We have to roll them. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, I think every young composer kind of goes to that phase where you're, you're, you have to, um, um, it's the word I'm looking for, actively move yourself away from the piano when you're writing. Yeah, and really learn how to just envision something mm-hmm. and really be embodying the instrument that you're writing for and mm-hmm. then kind of analyze it and... Yeah. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds, I mean, it, it's a great work, Dorian. I love to see where it goes and um, such a cool opera. Yeah. And Thank I, you. I, I know I'm, I'm excited to see what the, the, what the future holds for you. So you, you said you have this tuba commission, anything else in the works for you right now? Uh, right now, I, I mean, I'm doing a lot of musical things in my life currently yeah. i'm uh you can talk about those too you can talk about whatever <laughs> talk yeah, about whatever so this is your moment yeah yeah you anything talk you, about anything you want to plug so or kind of you guys any anything you want to talk about like do it <laughs> i'm we conned you into being on this so i mean we <laughs> yeah. might as well let you have a moment <laughs> yeah uh so the oh my goodness where do i start uh throughout being locked down i yeah, just to state again, I moved back to San Francisco at the beginning of mm-hmm. uh, quarantine period. Uh, and since then, I've been playing with my high school band who <laughs> I left for four years and they continued on and uh, did a ridiculous amount of live shows and uh, touring and stuff. Yeah. So I've been playing with them through quarantine, uh, which has been great just to That's have awesome. yeah. some musical interaction with people going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they you know, one of the band members set up his garage so we can open the door and have the oh, drum. Yeah. I, I'm, I play drums in that band. Cool. So I, the kit is just right outside at the door there, you know, and I can just <laughs> roll up and keep my mask on. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Very cool, very cool. So that's been fantastic. I'm working at a recording studio right now. Oh, nice. Uh, and I'm, you know, <laughs> interacting with music in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my free time... I'm really just, you know, practicing, like getting my chops up. Uh, I've kind of been working on some projects just for myself, honestly, composing wise. Uh, It's been difficult for me to write for potential things that are going to happen once this is all over because it it feels, yeah. uh, It feels feels, eternal right now. (laughs) It feels eternal right now. So I, I think I've kind of decided just to, uh, stick with writing for myself uh, kind of going back to that idea of texts I've been looking for unusual texts yeah. uh, and so like right now I'm working on a song cycle <laughs> where each text is from a different uh, advertisement on Craigslist <laughs> um, I, I was inspired because I was uh spending a long time looking at bikes on craigslist yeah yeah uh and there's you you see the wildest shit on there man it's (laughs) really intense it's it's a crazy sight uh and there's this one bike seller specifically in sacramento who for each bike that he posts on craigslist he writes this long crazy poem about it (laughs) And it does specs or anything. It's just like uh, expounding on the beauty of these handlebars. Yes. Oh my god, that's <laughs> just, amazing! Just an ode to the bike. I love. Seriously, it. yeah. Uh, Did you meet this individual? No, I didn't. I texted him and uh, asked him, "Please, please, can I use some of these texts?" <laughs> and he sent me a very cryptic response. Uh, oh, that, uh, was just like, "Yeah, sure." Uh, I I pull it up, but it's that it was months ago. Okay, that's fine. Um, that's hilarious, though. <laughs> yeah, it it was so kind of spot on for the tone that I had gotten to know of him through reading yeah, all yeah. these poems. Uh, You're like, yeah, everything here is checking out. Like this, this all <laughs> yeah, adds up exactly. to who you this are. This individual is nothing if not consistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what I've been working on recently. My my Craigslist songs. Uh, yeah, that sounds. I'm I'm actually excited. Uh, I'm stoked to hear that. It reminds <laughs> awesome. me of 
a friend of mine who used uh, Tinder profiles that she came across <laughs> yeah. as text. Um, she did like a cabaret style kind of thing, like um, William uh, Bolcom's cabaret songs or whatever. Where, like mm-hmm. they're just like like one minute snippets, but yeah, that's that sounds so funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Very, very cool. Well, it's been great having you, Dorian. Um, I'm glad you're doing well. And um, yeah, uh, just, just yeah. Thank keep you guys so much for having me. Uh, just been a lot of fun. It, it was it was a lot of fun having you. And uh, yeah. write something for cello. You know, just, <laughs> just when when you when you want. I'm not. I don't have money, so I can't commission you. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But th- this has been great, and really great job on the opera again. Um, just a really incredible piece. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we've been joined by Dorian Cunningham. This has been Classical Reboot. I'm Austin. And I'm Matt. And we'll see you later. Bye. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that was great, man. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on. That was that was a good time. Yeah. Um, uh, I do think it'd be hilarious to have you and Bradley on here yeah. at some point. If nothing yeah. else, just to shoot the shit. That'd be, that'd be a really <laughs> funny... Uh, really Absolutely. funny goofy episode uncut yeah. and uncensored we can release it on youtube <laughs> um, school reboot reloaded <laughs> exactly so right reboot, now we have, rebooted maybe. we have you um slotted to be released um for this episode do, 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 do. where are you you're in here the 22nd of march so about cool. About a month from now. So awesome. Well, uh, we'll give you a heads up. And then um, I have like promotional. Well, well, we'll put it on social, but I can send you some like promotional stuff if you want to okay. um, do that as well. You can promote this as much or as little as you want. It's your sure. choice. So it's your well, life. I'll, uh, we'll be doing that. And um, yeah, again, thanks you so much for um, joining us. It was great. All right. Yeah. Thank you guys again. Yeah, for sure. A lot of fun.